Thumbs up, Sean. Alright, this is another fine day in the Lord as we come. This Sun's Day, January 28, 2024. Uh, rather than reading today, we're going, we were going to read Matthew chapter 5, but I want to read you this. Uh, these people have been on our prayer list for some time, and I want to give you some details on uh, what's going on in their lives. Rock Hill, South Carolina. When Rock Hill's and this was a, a newscast from a CN2. I don't know what that is. CN2 News. I guess maybe it's Internet News or something. But when Rock Hills, David uh, Deerkin, Deerking, talked about his wife, Sierra, even through a computer screen, he can't help but smile. She is the sweetest person that you'll ever meet, says David Deerking. Sierra is in a fight of her life. She, David, and her two sons, Colton and Jackson were visiting family in Pennsylvania for Christmas when she and her youngest became very sick. Colton, who was three at the time, started to complain of pain in his neck. Sierra took him to the nearby urgent care. Then he was sent to the hospital on December 26th. The doctors there said he had coronavirus and strep throat. They also found two abscesses in his neck. He would soon have two surgeries and is now recovering well. David says Sierra also wasn't feeling well but was focused on her son. Two days later she was rushed to the hospital. No one could ever imagine the weeks that would follow. One of the nurses came over to me and said I just want you to know she is very very sick. Like a 10 out of 10 says David. Sierra had influenza B, group with uh, strep throat, and pneumonia. David says toxins got into her bloodstream, which sent her into a septic shock. Her organs was failing, and Sierra was put on life support. Doctors told her to told them to pray for a miracle. According to the family GoFundMe account, a defibrillator was used for Sierra. Her heart stopped beating. Family says thankfully they had already put her on ECMO, whatever that is. Meaning they could, they could still keep her alive even with her heart not beating. It would just be a waiting game until her heart could start to beat. I was told if you have any family that can make it here, I would strongly tell them to come, says David. After agonizing moments in the hospital, some good news. Sierra's uh, potassium level was decreasing, which was a good thing. Every little victory we, we are rejoicing in. Excited about, says David, Sierra's journey is far from over. David says because of the high level of Blood pressure medicine she was given to her to save her life. Doctors told her there's a very high chance she would lose her arms and legs. David says that's because the medicine narrows the blood vessels in order to increase pressure. Sadly, this happened. But David is thankful she's alive. The focus is saving her life. You can survive without limbs, but there's nothing quite like having a mother that can watch her kids grow up. See her, see him graduate. So that's the focus, says David. 
a GoFundMe account was created by the family and has reached more than $45,000. A great need as medical bills will continue to come in. David says he's thankful for the support. He's hoping to one day be back in Rock Hills Hill as a fam as the family of four. He remains uh, he remains others to ch- uh, cherish every moment. My hope my hope uh, for all of this, as terrible as it has been, it will be it will do some good. I hope it will strengthen marriages. Take the time to take care of your spouse. And hope it strengthens people's faith, says David. David says music, especially gospel hymns, have helped him during the, during this terrible journey. The Dear King King's pastor from Rock Hill and many others have traveled to Pennsylvania to show their support. David says he's so thankful to the doctors and medical staff where Sierra is being treated. David says Sierra is sweet, kind, Loves adventures and her family adds their, ne- uh, their never heard her say an unkind word. They know her as selfless kind of patience. Then your, um, and, uh, positive note that Gary sent, um, passing on a, passing on the information, positive sign that just the other day her parents came in and she smiled at them and, um, very positive there. Um, the Lord has reminded me I've done a lot, and I hope that in times like this, rather than saying, well, it, at really, that's really bad for them, and, um, I'm not glad I'm going through it, I don't think you do, but, but it, it is a time, and, and things like that allows us, as David says in here, to apply what, to, to, first of all, to praise God, uh, and to recognize that God has a plan. You've got a soul. Now, Sierra's lost her arms and her legs. And I've lost, I've thought quite a bit about that. How the Lord will take you and the things that you, He can, He can bless you with things, but He can also with bless you with taking away things. Sierra still has the opportunity to minister their life to minister to other people. To talk to people, they can. Sometimes the Lord will take us to places uh, and and hardships and crises to bring us through those crises and to enable us to minister to other people that we can't. The arrow being able to minister to people that while you can't or or greater you can't, but uh, but Sierra can. And he'll, and the Lord will take you through different things that you can, you can touch other people where I can. And so, rather than, and when the crisis comes to somebody and the crisis comes to us, don't think it in terms of, of wow, their bad luck just was circling around and just hit this particular person. Don't think of it in your life or anybody else's life. You sit there and you think of it, okay Lord, you brought me here. What is your plan for my life in this situation that you have put me in? So, um, will the offering that today will go to the uh, supporting? And I might have to have you, man. I don't know. We might be able to get on my fund me page without a, a Facebook. 
I don't know. Oh, yeah, you probably can. Yeah, I probably can, but the offering today, and then, um, and then maybe we could have some church funds also go in that direction. We'll, um, we'll, um, contribute to, um, them and make, be sure to keep them in your prayers. Our opening prayer, our opening song this morning will be Trust in a Bank. And open up your hymnals. We're going to do this by hymnals. Uh, um, Alan West, Westfall from, um, Austin Bible, uh, not Austin, but Houston Bible Church will be eating, uh, but we're going to be singing from the hymns. And, um, so anyway, uh, let us rise and we're going to turn to Trust and Obey 349 and we will sing one, two, three, and five, uh, five verses. We're going to sing first one, verses one, two, three, and five. Where are you what? 349. I've got there. All right, let's stand. Mm-hmm. When we walk in the Lord and the light of His Word, what a glory that's on the way. My year to be my year. My still. And with all who quit, won't stand on me. Trust me. No other way get me in.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity this morning to fellowship in your word. Thank you for your word that comforts us, that strengthens us. I pray and prepares us for what's ahead. But more, more importantly, it prepares us to live each day as unto thee. Knowing our God, coming to know our God, coming to know our Christ. Coming to walk in the Spirit. We're excited about this morning. We're excited about what you're going to present. We pray that you open our hearts to these things. And all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now we're looking great. Things still rolling good? Yeah. All right, sir. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. I was planning on getting through the whole chapter today. But what chance is that? All right. Let's go. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. He was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without a father, without a mother, without a genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains as a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. And indeed the sons of Levi, who received the priest's altar, have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people that is from their brethren, although these are descendants of Abraham. Let's stop right there. I was going to, uh, I was going to write down so, in, a, in a sense, uh, in, a, in our time, so that I could just read these off. I, and I just realized I neglected to read these off because it would take us, uh, take up time. But I want, there, there are passages here, here throughout Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10.34. Hebrews 6.9. Hebrews 7.19. Hebrews 7.22. Hebrews 9.23. Hebrews 10.34. Hebrews 11.16. Hebrews 11.35. Hebrews 11.40. Hebrews 12.24. The theme of these passages, these verses... In there is something better. Something better to look forward to. Not only better, listen, no, 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 no. Not something better to look forward to. Something better to grasp now. Do you not realize we are not looking forward to a blessing? We have a blessing. We own that blessing as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Something better has come. Something great better. And this, you know, I have to walk back so many times. When we go into Hebrews chapter 6, and we see that, um, as the writer says, to have, have tasted, have, have tasted the Holy Spirit, and have experienced the, uh, or having, having received the Holy Spirit, having experienced the spiritual life, and having fallen away from it, 
you will, you know, you cannot be renewed. I mean, I, I'm butchering that. Let's let's look at that. Um, Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about washing and laying on hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted, and that tasted, the word, remember, is participated, um, experienced, let's say, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves, the Son of God, and put Him to open shame. Studying the passage as we do has given me a repentance of what, and I mean change of mind, what this verse is actually saying. It's not talking to the Christian that if you're, if you're advancing in the spiritual life and somewhere along the line you fall away from it, you never can come back to it. That's not what this passage is about. It's speaking of the crossover believers. We've spoken of the crossover believers. Uh, we went over that in the past. The crossover believers are those believers who were Old Testament believers, Old Testament saints. They look forward to the cross. Then, at the starting with the age of Pentecost was the uh, the apostolic age. In the apostolic age, there was the laying on of hand to receive the Holy Spirit, and they had so from that they were so you had a mixture of believers. You really had Old Testament believers, Old Testament saints, and New, and New Testament saints, if you want to put it like that. Church age believers and Old Testament saints both together. They don't. That, that that isn't today. That was during that period of time when the apostles were here and and um, and that first generation. We live in a generation now when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive and at that moment you receive the Holy Spirit. We we do not live in an age where you have to where there's a laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. That's bad doctrine. Okay, I think some. Places still practice that, but at the moment that you are born again, you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by principle, and, uh, and if, if you want to um, take it that far, and maybe by principle we could still say that. Now, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't be warned. Because in advancing and advancing in your spiritual life and coming to a certain place in your spiritual life, you want to guard the sanctity of your heart. You want to be careful little ears. You want to be careful little eyes. And we've talked about carnality. We've talked about growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Growing up in the Lord. Taking in the Word of God. Establish your spiritual priorities. Because you can, and I want to warn all of us, including, including the pastor up here, including the pastor up here, because any one of us can set aside our spiritual priorities. Paul says, be careful that you think you stand lest you fall. Because at any moment, or at or any time, we can get distracted. 
good things or bad things. And we can lay lay aside those spiritual priorities. And maybe it's work. Wally Connor, we pray for you. I pray for you fervently because you are in a vulnerable state right now. And anybody that's graduated, because new things are coming to you. It may be exciting. It may be challenging. It may be worrisome. It may, you, you can go in any number of directions. You, you recognize that, right? And, and good things are going to come and, and challenging things are going to come. But you have to hold on to that spiritual life and the things that you've learned and continue, regardless of what's going on in your secular life, you've got to keep pursuing your spiritual life. Because once we stop doing it, and you can put off things for a day, and all of a sudden, you're still a good boy. You, st- you know, you, I mean, We're still good people. But we begin to drift. Let go of the anchor, and we begin to drift. We spoke Wednesday night or Tuesday night about anchor. Jesus Christ is our anchor. And if we do not hold on to Him in our prayer, in our studies, we begin to drift. And yes, He is faithful and He's just forgive us those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the further we drift off in the darkness, the harder we're going to get back into establishing those spiritual priorities and growing in the Lord. So, the whole through Hebrews, the theme through Hebrews is the better things have come. Look up these passages and you see better, better, better all through it. There's something better to come. And so the the message is to these Hebrews believers because whether it, whether they, they are getting homesick, they want to go back and this is a challenge to go back to the Things they left in the past. They want to go back to Judaism. Maybe it's because of pressure. Maybe they missed the good old days. But this, ladies and gentlemen, don't lose it. Because I haven't heard it. This doesn't mean that they're going to lose their salvation. It don't mean that you're going to lose their salvation. But but um, the writer is saying, don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the old system. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the old priest. Everything is better now. You've got a better priesthood. And that's what we're talking about with Melchizedek. Oh, you know, I have to laugh. I mean, we're, talking about pre- we're talking about priesthood here. and I wasn't going to bring this up, but it crossed my mind a number of times. I'm going to bring it up anyway. My cousin Vinny. We see it? Remember my cousin Vinny? Y'all haven't seen it. But my cousin Benny, here it is that the, these these young guys are up against, and they got a murder charge. They're going up against the judge for murder. They want the best judge or best representative that they could get. And here is uh, the Karate Kid. <laughs> that's that's what I remember him by. He gets his cousin Benny to come represent him. Say, yeah, he's practicing law, and it was crazy. In reality, in the spiritual reality, we're going up against God. We're going up before God, a righteous God as sinners. We want the best representation that we can possibly get. We don't want, we don't want this, you know, good enough. And that's what these Jewish believers were doing. They wanted to go 
good enough. Let's go back. You know, the, 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 the Levitical priesthood was good enough for us. It may have been good enough for them, but it is good enough for us. It's not good enough when there's always something better that's ahead. So, how much, and the question is, how much do we reject the most glorious life in Christ and fall back to the human good, morality, traditionalism, denominationalism, as our way our truth and our life. Listen, I want you. Got your attention? Listen. Morality is not the Christian way of life. Religion is not the Christian way of life. Denominationalism, Christian way of life. Do you understand that when I say Christian way of life, I'm saying life in Christ. Life of Christ is a dynamic life. A wonderful life. A life that's onward and upward. But let me warn you. There are many who settle for good enough. Does anybody accept the fact that I had to get my life squared away and I had to become a good person to become a Christian? Anybody buy that? No. No. I received the gospel that Jesus Christ provides eternal life. And I that that I am a sinner before God, a righteous God. And Jesus Christ as my representative represented my represented me upon that cross. He died upon the cross, taking his sins upon his body. And the only thing that I brought to the table is when I heard that gospel that I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved. And you know what? Faith got me saved. Why do I go back to the same stuff to live the... Do you believe that? Because what got me saved? Faith. How will I live the Christian way of life? Thank you, Tim. Faith. It got me saved, and it's the only way that I'm going to live the Christian way of life. So, when I think of going, uh, when I'm thinking uh, to, how do I live the Christian way of life? Well, I gotta be moral. Oh, I gotta be religious. I gotta join a denomination. Um, I've got do-goodisms. I've got, I've gotta get out there and I've got to do this and do this and do this. I'm not throwing that out saying that you shouldn't be moral because morality, when we're talking about morals and standards, absolutely. But the righteous life is so much higher than morality. I've heard this, and so so have some of you heard this. And everybody that grew up the way, grew up under the kernel, you've heard this. Whatever the unbeliever can do, is not the Christian way of life. Whatever the unbeliever can do is not the Christian way of life. Can the unbeliever be moral? Help me? Anybody? Yes. Yes, can. Can can you have unbelievers that are 
just that you can trust to 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 help you and to go the extra mile for you. Yes, you can. They can be moral. They can be trustworthy, helpful, courteous, kind, obedient, and be all that. I'm just trying to remember what the Boy Scout theme is, but they can co- it can cover all that. It's not the Christian way of life. Again, don't get me wrong. We're not throwing that away in our lives. I want you to be moral. I want you to be virtuous. I want you to have integrity. I want you to tell the truth. I want you to, to, to be helpful, courteous, kind. I want you to be all that. But don't let it be... Um, it's not the means of your spiritual life. We live our life through faith. Alright? So, and this is the point. Many have substituted morality for the Christian way of life. Just like the Jewish believers were going back and saying, and that's just good enough. Just like the Jewish believers were going back to Judaism, departing Christianity, going back to the old ways, and saying that's good enough. We want a higher life. And we need to be praying for that life. We need to be pursuing that life. We, we should make it our heart's endeavor. So I believe that there are going to be many woes in heaven initially. Tears are going to be wiped away in heaven. And I believe this for part of the reason. When this life is over, that all the time that we had been lifting up our own morality, for the years that we've been trying to be good little girls and boys, and we're going to stand in heaven and find out at the Bema, where there is going to be a fire. And our works are going to be tested by fire. And those things that are human good, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned human good. All our human good, all our energy of the flesh, that means those things done apart from the Spirit will be burned up. But Lord, Lord, why are you burning this up? Man, what... I did this, I, I, I was a Sunday school teacher, I was a pastor, I was I did this, I did this. Why did it count? Because you did it by your own effort. You did it by your own uh, your own standard of righteousness and not God's. First thing has to be first, always, your relationship with the Lord. In chapter 5, the writer was very reluctant to take his readers to the subject of Melchizedek. Didn't want to do it. He said, you're dull of hearing. I want to teach you these things. I want to tell you these things. I, 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 I mentioned Melchizedek, but you're not ready to handle it. <laughs> you're dull of hearing. Remember that? You, you, you need milk and not meat and potatoes. I'll tell you about Melchizedek. It's like meat and potatoes. Melchizedek is meat and potatoes. You're not ready for it. What happened between chapter 5 and 6? Now in 7 and 8, or 6 and 7? 
What happened? Because now he's getting into teaching. I was, he wasn't going to tell him, and now he's telling them. I think this emphasizes the importance of the subject of Melchizedek. And remember, it's not the subject of Melchizedek we're talking about. Don't, it's not the subject of Melchizedek. It's the subject about Christ. Who and what Christ is. And I believe as he's writing this letter that he can't think of a better example. He wants... The writer wants to bring home the fact that you need Christ. That that you need to know who your God is. We talk about faith. You cannot be faith. You, you cannot exercise faith apart knowing who your God is and knowing who His Christ is. You can't live. We've said this from the pulpit, and I'll still stand on this. You cannot live the spiritual way of life, the Christian way of life, being willfully ignorant. You have to advance in your knowledge of God and His Christ. And who does the teaching? Thank you very much. The Holy Spirit. Through the Word, yes. The Holy Spirit through the Word. We wanted to get the Trinity in there because somebody might be asking, well, have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you know, I love the Holy Spirit. I really do because when we begin growing, when we, it, it reminds me of, of, of being a drill instructor. Recruits hated you. Recruits hated their, their drill instructor at the beginning of training and at the end of training when they are all souls rolled back and, and they are just, they are Marines. They recognize an appreciation for their drill instructors that brought them there. It is the Holy Spirit that brings us and brings us to, into that relationship. That attachment to the Holy Spirit, and when you come to love God and come to love the Holy Spirit, or come to love His Son, you realize the knowledge that you have is taught to you by the Holy Spirit through His Word. Thank you, Wally. I saw that. Okay. Um, the prince. This is the principle for every believer: your walk in the faith and growth in the spiritual life has everything to do with a better understanding of God and knowing His Son. And it should be the pastor's ambition. I've come over the years to this point now to recognize that my ambition is not to fill up these chairs, move out of here to get a bigger place, and to fill up those chairs and have a mega church. I don't think y'all want that either. Quite frankly. My ambition as a pastor that those who sit here one, two, three, four those that are maybe don't have a church I, I pray for you that you do have a church. We do need to assemble. But nonetheless that we are here together. That my ambition is how many of you are sitting there and sitting in front and who I'm responsible you are the Lord's flock 
and I'm responsible to present to you and to build a passion in you for your Christ through teaching His Word, through presenting His Word. I got this from our Expositor magazine. Uh, you probably read this, Michael, from Jonathan Edwards. Quote from Jonathan Edwards, I should think of myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as possibly I can, provided that they are affected with nothing but the truth. That the truth that you receive in your heart, that every, every time we meet together, that you walk out of that door, not thinking, wow, you know, that was a, you know, the pastor taught a great sermon today. Wow, I, that, that pastor really motivated me. Oh man, that pastor, I, I don't want that. I want you to walk out that door saying, man, the Spirit really spoke to me today. He really taught, the Spirit really taught me something that day. And I think you all understand that principle too. Because after we get done, we go about same old same. Because what you hear, you don't, you don't give me no accolades. You don't say, wow, that was a really, every once in a while I'll get something, say, wow, you know, that, you know, that was a really good sermon or something. But I don't hear you, you, I think you know better than to pat me on the back. I'm a messenger. It's the Spirit, it's the, it's the Word of God that, that, that you need to be taking in heart and knowing that it's the Spirit that's teaching and teaching me and teaching. We're, we're together on this. Second Peter, give me Second Peter 3.17. And somebody read that for me, please. Second Peter three seventeen. Yes, sir, please. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Alright. Can you lose your salvation there, Wally Gunner? No. No, you can't. But can you lose um, your, your, um, pos- our, your temporal position in Christ, your reward, your decorations, your... Uh, to wind up in heaven with nothing to show for our life. Can you, uh, uh, life living vain, can that happen? Yeah. Yes, it most certainly can. And Peter is saying, be careful. Therefore, beloved, um, he's saying, be on guard so that you're not going to be carried away by the error of unprincipled men. False doctrine. The word, preach, listen, and be careful. Young gentlemen, because you're going to hear preachers that they're going to sound great, and they're going to teach them some good doctrine, and all of a sudden they're going to throw you a curveball, which is undoctrinal, unscriptural, and this is the way that we are that we are on guard is knowing the truth and be able to discern the truth, and. Because it's false doctrine that's going to cause us to fall away from our steadfast growth in the Lord. 
So it's saying, be careful. Keep, keep pressing forward. Uh, keep pressing forward, but be careful. And how do we grow? How do we grow in grace? Through the knowledge. Yes? Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To know what the better is. Because the better, our anchor, says Hebrews, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The subject is not Melchizedek. That's not our subject. But to point, and the writer points out the better that we have in Christ. Melchizedek is presented here as a type. I'm going to review typology for you. I'm not. I'm trying to try not to go too um, too deep. We, you know this. This is as a review for some of you. But a type that we find in the Old Testament, and look, typology is one. <laughs> it's exciting when you're reading the Bible and you're seeing images of Christ in the Old Testament, and that's a type in in, in some fashion. So, definition from um, Schofield Study Bible. A type is a divinely purposed illustration of some scriptural truth. Again, a type is a divinely purposed illustration of some scriptural truth. It may be a person, as in Romans 5.14, as it it is currently, as we're talking about Melchizedek, Melchizedek is a type, an image, a foreshadowing of something to come. It may be the event, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. We also see that the, the flood is a type of the final judgment, which is brought on by fire. A thing, Hebrews 10, 19-20. An institution in Hebrews 9.11-12 and a ceremony 1 Corinthians 5.7 Types occur frequently in the Pentateuch. What's the Pentateuch? The first five books of the Bible. The Torah. And are found more sparingly elsewhere in Scripture. The antitype or the fulfillment of the type is found generally in the Greek canon. I want to, I want, I'm trying to go change my vernacular from Old Testament to New Testament. I prefer, you know, in any old, because of, oh well, a number of things. I like Hebrew canon, which means the Old Testament written primarily in Hebrew. Um, Greek canon, New Testament, written primarily in the um, the antitype or the fulfillment of type is found generally in the Greek canon. No type, which which is a foreshadowing of things to come, it's a for, it's a shadow of things to come. No foreshadowing of things to come is greater than the antitype, which is the reality. Or the main point that's being illustrated. We understand that? When we see a shadow, let's say the Lamb of God in the Old Testament, um, that Lamb 
is not greater than what it points to. The Passover lamb is not greater than Christ himself. The Antichrist is always greater. We mentioned the flood. The flood of Noah. Remember the flood of Noah? Remember Noah? All, all, the, all the animals on that ark? Well, that's and, well, the flood is not greater. The flood is not greater than the antitype, which is the, the, the final judgment that's going to cause this earth to melt away, as we find in Third Peter, or not Third Peter, Second Peter three. And it's so rewarding to read the Hebrew canon. And as we read, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, throughout the pages of Scripture. It's exciting. It's exciting. But, and, uh, uh, I don't know, I have to have, to have this point. Because, uh, uh, let me give you this point first. Types are best understood. I guess, I won't say best understood. Types are understood by looking backwards. Observing that which is the reality. We, we have the reality, the antitype. We know Christ. And knowing Christ, we just read um, Second Peter. And when we study, and when we're growing in the Lord, and we're knowing about Christ, and the more that we know about Jesus, we look back on these things in the Old Testament, and we see Christ. The more we know and have better knowledge of the Son of God, we look back in the Old Testament, and we see Him on the pages of Scripture. That is exciting. And it gives you a great appreciation for what is called the Old Testament. Some people, uh, you'll hear arguments saying Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. Jesus isn't in the Old Testament only to those who don't know Jesus. Three warnings. It is necessary. Schofield said two. I'll put three warnings on here. All right, third one. Scorpio says, nothing may be insisted upon as a type without explicit, he says, uh, New Testament authority, let's say Greek canon authority. This keeps the student from going on a wild goose chase, my, my note, and making wrong conclusions and doctrinal errors. What I'm saying is, don't just look in the Old Testament or Old Testament. So, oh, this means this and this means that, and oh, this is the type because I see this. It's not on your authority that something is a type. It's on what the New Testament, the, can, the Greek canon, says it is. All right. It keeps us from going making wrong conclusions and going off on a wild goose chase. All right. Um, the, the New Testament canon will clearly tell you what is what is a type or what is an example. Sometimes the word is tupas, which is type in itself, but it also tupas can be translated as example. Both of them the same word. Type and example are the same uh, word in the Greek tupas. Number two, all types not authenticated must be recognized as having only the authority of an analogy. I have a hard time with this, but I won't go with it because of the point. Like Joseph, 
You read Joseph. And I have some arguments. You see Christ all the way through the life of Joseph. Amen? You see, uh, you see the story of Christ in the life of Joseph. But I may be wrong, but I don't see something in the New Testament that says he is a type of Christ. Okay, so um, so Joseph, by this by this definition, can only be a parallel. But that's okay. I'll still point it out. I'm, I'm, when I teach Joseph, I say, let's look at the imagery that we have here. I still see Christ. So the, theologically, we call we say he's not a type. Okay, I'll go with that. But I still love it. Moses, and like Moses, um, I, and I don't know if Moses is a type. Uh, but there is a long list. Moses, more than Joseph, has a long list of things that parallel the life of Christ. All right, number three. No types. These are, I think. Oh yeah, I, I threw this in. No types are perfect representation. No ty- are perfect representations of that which it foreshadows. They're not perfect. Don't try to go and see a type and try to pull out everything in there and try to hook it up as a perfect imagery of Christ. You're not going to do it. Isaac is a type of Christ. We saw that with Abraham taking him up to the mountain to be sacrificed. And all the typology in there, the imagery that we see, but Isaac is not a perfect representation of Christ. Why? So, somebody, somebody have any idea why? I what what you can point out that Isaac is not a perfect representation of Christ, though he's a type. He didn't die. Okay, Isaac. Isaac didn't die. Okay, there you go. He didn't die. That's that's a good one actually. Um, another thing is the fact that Isaac's a sinner. Jesus wasn't. You can come up with other things too that see and, and may confuse you, but remember, when you're looking at type, don't don't look to fit everything in that life, okay? Um, Melchizedek is a type which foreshadows the greater. Melchizedek which is to come. The teachings brings the truth out of the shadows and lays it out as Jesus as being the better priesthood. I'll say up front, Melchizedek was a man, born of a woman, therefore receiving the Holy Spirit. He had a father. He did have a father. We'll talk about that. He did have a father. He did have a mother. He was born into this world. We we worked a little bit out this the other night, didn't we? And um, y'all brought out some good good conclusions. So Melchizedek is all this. How do I know? Well, listen. Well, we'll get, we'll get to that. Okay, I'll just give you. Uh, I'll give you that as a spoiler. You know, a, a spoiler alert on that. Melchizedek is a man. All right, Hebrews chapter seven, verse one again. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Who is, I asked this question the other night, who is this mysterious character 
we we went over last night or the last meeting our last um, study about Abraham, about the war he fought, about coming in. He's going to have to meet King Sodom and all that. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out of all nowhere. This king of Salem. Who is he? Who is this mysterious fella? We only see him in there in Genesis. We also see him mentioned in Psalm 110, verse 4. But we don't see him anywhere else throughout Scripture. Nothing. Do we there, Jolene? We know. And um, so we know that he was one who was greater than Abraham. Now, when we say that, when, when I'm telling somebody that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, maybe we don't understand that. Maybe we, maybe we right now, maybe that doesn't shock us. That does, maybe that doesn't do anything for us. But in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord promised, I think it's 12 verse, um, 12 verse 3, if not it's verse, verse 2, one or the other. He promised Abraham that I'm, I will make your name great. There's no other name greater apart from Jesus in this world. Remember McGee, um, Dr. Vernon McGee? He mentioned this. He said that there's people all, there's people in this world from different cultures and different places that don't know who the President of the United States is. But they know who Abraham is. Abraham is a central figure of three main religious um, religions within the world, and I, at this point, I will call Christianity a religion. In that, in that sense, a faith is Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. So you've got these, you've got the Jews around, and you tell them, and, and they're talking Father Abraham. No one's greater than Father Abraham. The author of Hebrews now tells them. There's one that's greater than Abraham. We talked about Melchizedek being being um, not a man, and we're going to get cover that a little bit more. He's not. He doesn't have a father. He doesn't have a mother. Um, he is a kingly priest. We talked about him being a kingly priest. Wow, and that's a wow. But you tell these Jews, you tell the Jews, Father Abraham. There's somebody better than Father Abraham. And now he's laying out the case that Jesus, uh, that this priest here is different than the Levitical priest. This one is in a in a type. He he is like he is somewhere like in the imagery of Melchizedek. How is that? Okay, let's look at Hebrews for a second verse. To whom also Abraham or Abraham a portion, a tenth part of all the spoils was first of all by translation his name king of his name king of righteousness and the king of Salem which is king of peace Melet I want you to remember this this is a test question 
Melech in the, in the Hebrew canon, in the Hebrew, means king. Melech means king. Zedek means righteousness. And Salem, or we get Shalom, is peace. And it's where righteousness dwells. So, I think it's interesting just the name itself. Because you first get righteousness. He's the king of righteousness. And he's also the king of peace. Those two go together. The king of righteousness and the king of peace. Somebody give me Isaiah 32.17. Isaiah 32.17. Thirty-two, seventeen. Yes, sir. And the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation, and in secure dwellings, and in undisturbed resting places. And no, it will. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep reading that. And it will hell when the forest comes down, and the city will be utterly laid low. How blessed will you be, you who sow beside all waters, who let out freely the ox and the donkey. Okay. What comes first? Righteousness or peace? Righteousness. Righteousness comes first. There are those in this world still peace, saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. Why is there no peace? Because the righteous, because they're not in righteousness. Very important. We have other uh, other uh, passages as well that you can look up. Psalm seventy-two, two, and three. And we're not going to look them up today, but um, you can look them up. Um, Psalm eighty-five, eight. Psalm one, nineteen, one sixty-five. Isaiah two, four. Isaiah thirty-two, seventeen. Romans fourteen, seventeen. James three, eighteen. So. This is not only a principle for the nation. This is not only considering a nation, but it also considers you and I as individuals. When your life is in chaos, and gentlemen, young gentlemen, I'm, I'm giving you a benefit of my own grown-up wisdom. I'm still growing, so I ain't there yet. But I give you what I, in my own life. And when there's chaos in your life, and when life is turned upside down, and wherever you go, you're, you're stumbling over something. You have people issues that you, you're dealing with bad bosses, um, bad bosses, good bosses, you deal, your marriages, your, your family structure, and your life seems to be falling apart in every area, every area of your life. Stop blaming, or stop blaming others, and stop blaming your circumstances, and sit down and open your eyes and ask the question: Where are? Where am I? Where am I in regards to the righteousness of God? Am I walking righteously? Am I walking righteously before God? 
Am I holding up a godly and divine standard? Because when your life is falling apart, listen, peace doesn't come first. Righteousness comes first. And you say, well, what about my neighbor? He's an unbeliever. He seems to be living pretty peacefully. And he's not righteousness. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you. You have a higher standard that you must walk in. Principle of doctrine. Number one. When we maintain the sanctity of our own souls, which we are responsible for, as Adam was to protect the sanctity of the garden, a peace is maintained within. Where you are walking righteously. And listen, you might determine to do that today. If maybe someone in the sound of my voice is hearing this message. You might determine today that I'm going to walk righteously before God. Don't think everything's going to come together this day. Over a period of time, when you determine to live righteously before God, Maybe to get your spiritual act together. You're you're in God's Word. You're growing in God's Word. And over a period of time, you're not going to see it. It's just like physical growth. Spiritual growth is the same way. You'll wake up one morning, just like you guys. One day you're this tall. I still I'm still amazed at seeing the pictures on the wall of when we went out on that on that trip shooting squirrels. You're you're like this. Now you're like this. What happened? Maybe you're asking yourself the same question. What happened? You know, time passes. We don't see our growth. But when you start and when you maintain your walk in the Lord, you're growing. And a peace is being developed with you're pushing out the garbage out from your out from within. Because to make room for the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in your in your screwed up worldview dynamics. They're incompatible. So as you learn to grow and walk in the Lord, you're pushing out that garbage. Number two in the point principle of doctrine, when righteousness is secured within, all is well of the soul, regardless of the outside circumstances. We read earlier, beginning about David, um, David uh, Sierra's husband. And you didn't read in that article anything about wazzy wazzy woo woo me or my wife or anything else like that. You read nothing but hope. They have more hope than people that are not going through a situation. The way I read it. Somebody give me Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. Ready, you got that for me? Yeah. Go ahead, sir. The righteous man perishes, and no man takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away, while no one understands, for the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace 
they rest in their beds, each one who walked in his upright way. I love this. A man, um, a, a devout man is taken away. When you, and when you set, uh, you may start in your life as, as living in, in this life, in this world, in your family, and whatever chaos that you are. And this says that you, that, that man who's, who's righteous is taken out of it. Maybe not out of the circumstances altogether while he's still there, but he, but the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into that, that arena of peace. Okay, uh, the shalom, the irene. And they rest in their beds, each one who walked in an upright way. I love, I love going back to Stonewall Jackson when, when he was asked, how can you stay so calm in battle? He says, my good man, my spiritual life, I'm paraphrasing, my spiritual life leads me to, I'm going to get that, I'm going to put it up on a, on, I'm going to put it up on the wall back there. But my spiritual life leads me to feel as safe in battle as I do in my own bed. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, Melchizedek, the righteous, the righteous king, the king of peace. He's a king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. Which comes first? Righteousness. The king of righteousness. Where there's king of righteousness, there is the king of peace. Without a father, without a mother, Without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest per, uh, perpetually. First of all, without a father and mother, we say, well, if he doesn't have a father and mother, he must be a spirit. But, you know, don't worry about it. I asked the question, is, to, is this a pre I had two questions. I think I even presented them the other night. I had to do some study. Was this, and it's a legitimate question, was he a spirit being? Was Melchizedek a spirit being? He didn't have a father or mother. Must be a spirit being. Or, number two question, was he a, was he a pre-incarnate Christ? Jesus Christ, okay, are you shaking your head? That sounds good to you? Okay, that's all right. Um, because it, it sounds good. Or, and as I've taught in the past, maybe not taught, but suggested it, that he is the, he's Shem, the son of Noah. Okay? Let's cover it. First of all, without a father and mother. When we go back to Genesis, we see those, those totodotes. And the totodote is the, the, in most cases, in the ten cases, it's those dreaded genealogies. The begots. He begot here and we forgot there. And we're spitting all over ourselves trying to pronounce all the names that's in these lines, right? Well, in five, you see, he lived and he died. He lived and he died. He lived and he died. The genealogies. Well, for Melchizedek, the writer, the spirit, or the spirit of the writer of Hebrews, or the spirit, you got a human writer and you and you've got the Spirit that guides that writing. By the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he, um, and going back, he 
told the well the, he told the writer to leave out the genealogy for Melchizedek, leave it out for a purpose. Um, and and in Genesis, the writer is Moses. Leave out his name. You don't go over. You you you're just going to bring you know, bring him in for a future use in Hebrews. I kind of stumbled over that, but I got I got to move on. So <laughs> we're confused. We'll ask me question later. But okay, let's just say Genesis. There was a purpose for not putting a genealogy. I, I guess I, that's where I wanted to bring. There's a purpose of not mentioning the genealogy of Melchizedek. Who is he? He just came out of nowhere and he went to nowhere. Um, not like all these others. And these were other great men. These great men. Um, Abraham had a genealogy. Isaac had a genealogy. Jacob had a genealogy. But not Melchizedek. And Melchizedek turns out to be greater than all of them. Okay? Um, the family the family line in that day was all important. And we may think, when we read those genealogies, we may not think that they're, they're all that important and uh, just wish they weren't there. But it's important to the people. Their family line was very important. And um, it doesn't mean that Melchizedek doesn't have a genealogy. It just means that there wasn't one recorded in order to provide that that the the what the writer of Hebrews says. This is just to set up that type. Remember that the type is not perfect. Melchizedek had a mother and a father. They were just not recorded. Furthermore, there was no record of death. All the way through chapter 5, there's death, 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 and he died, and he died, and he died. He was born, and he died. He was born, and he died. And throughout all of the great men, we've read where Abraham died, and he was buried, where Isaac was died, where Joseph died, where Jacob died, Moses died, David died. There's record all over, but not with Melchizedek. Does it mean that Melchizedek didn't die? No, it just means it wasn't recorded. Yes, so was Melchizedek. And he is not the perfect type. He was a man, but there's an illustration. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's simply illustrating something better. Remember, our subject is not Melchizedek. Our subject is Christ. To have a genealogy means that you uh, something else to have a genealogy it means that you also have a sin nature another emphasis here do not have a genealogy that means no sin nature was passed to you now if Melchizedek had a mother and a father what else did he have a sin nature if he had a father, if he had a genealogical father, because there's one exception. Mary, um, Jesus was born without a sin nature. He was born of a woman. But all others, every, every other human being was born with a sin nature. So was Melchizedek. Again, I remind you that no type is perfect. 
Melchizedek had a sin nature because he was born uh, without, or he was born in a genealogical line. The priests were men. And we're setting this up as Melchizedek being the priest. Priests were men. And they were sinful men. Go back to Aaron. Aaron died naked on Mount Hor. And his, his, well, he, he did, his, uh, his priestly garments were taken off and put on his sons, and he dropped dead. Aaron was the one who made the golden calf. He was, he was appointed. He was a man. He was a sinful man. Priests throughout the Bible, we mentioned the other night, Hoff, Hophni and um, Phineas, the sons of Eli, despicable priests. We had the priest during the time of Jesus. And uh, by the way, those died sin unto death. They died in war. So priests of men, and you think, wow, couldn't God find somebody more righteous to be? And look at this. And you might have a priest that were all noble. And they could, and you might love this priest. He could teach. He could he could provide. He he brought the sacrifices. He comforted you. You could go to the priest. He could um, he could represent you. Remember, a priest is a representation, a, a representative. But then, what happens when he retires? Priest in Leviticus, priests retired when they were fifty. Or a priest died. What happened then? You get another priest. Nothing guarantees you're going to love the next priest that comes along. And um, the priest in the time of Jesus, they died. But, look at this verse here. Coming back to 7-2. Or 7-3. Without a father, without a mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days. That's a picture of eternal life. But may... What's that next word? Made? Like. Like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. Like the Son of God is not the Son of God, right? Right. I, somebody could say to me, <laughs> I'm like Michael. And give similarities while me and Mike. You know, they're not saying I'm Michael. I'm like Michael. So, if they're saying, I'm like Michael, does that mean I am Michael? No. No, it's not. So, there's only those who are eternal. Now, Melchizedek could be God the Father. Do you think so? No, not at all. He could be God the Spirit. Do you think Melchizedek? No, not at all. So, if it was like the Son, that means he wasn't God. And um, As far as angels, could be an angel either. I'll give you this point. Maybe you'll find a few others. An angel never took tithes, nor does an angel ever represent. Uh, a priest is a man who represents man. So it, ain't, it can't be an angel. So Melchizedek was a man, was a priest. Okay. We need a representation. No man can stand before God. When you think of priests, 
you might it might be a passing thought all oh, priests belong to that denomination or priest was what they had in the Old Testament what does priest mean to me and you may pass it off but here's the point we need representation who's going to represent us before God we are sinners John says I tell you these things that you may not sin but if you do sin you have an advocate one that's going to represent you you have a priest he's a better priest than any of the others he never died first of all he Christ Melchizedek lived and died it's just not recorded but Christ doesn't have a mother or doesn't, Christ is God he doesn't have a mother he doesn't um, I want to say not have a father he has a father he, he is um, Jesus he has, always uh, was and always yeah thank you honey was, always was he he is the he is the God of revelation when Jesus said uh, that you know he or John, John is right he who was he who is and he who is to come our Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal God he is humanity he is begotten but as God he has no beginning he has no end that's our priest and when he died and he ascended into heaven he now sits at the right hand of God making intercession day and night always for us he sits a priest only went into the tent and then he went out but our Lord Jesus Christ passed through the heavens he's sitting at the right hand of Father making intercession for us he doesn't retire he doesn't die he always is Jesus Christ is the better this is what the book of Hebrews is all about he is our better choice why should we go back and start representing ourselves with stuff like human good religion do goodism rather than bowing a knee to Christ and claiming him as our representative for God Father in heaven thank you for this morning thank you for this time together and studying your word I pray heavenly father that there's a lot of information that went over today and I pray heavenly father that you will open our hearts to it strengthen us in our walk I pray heavenly father that we pers- that each of us will have a desire to uh, place it within our hearts to pursue their spiritual life onward and upward that we do not accept cheap substitutes like human good morality religion denomination in replace of a relationship with our high priest may we recognize that our union with him our abiding in him is abiding in our high priest who's making intercession for us day and night he is our better high priest may these this truth echo daily in our hearts may we have great and great appreciation for this truth pray these things in Christ's name amen our closing hymn
will be um what is that? Behind the Yeah, behind the muscle. Thank you, sir. And let us stand and um and um close it out. Still a little closer. Sing, 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 he covered me there with his hand. A wonderful Savior, my Lord, he came my birth away. He ordered the shall not be free. He has my soul the rock that shadows me the numberless blessings, more than he crowns, and filled his fullness divine. I sing in my rapture, O glory, the most Hey, can I send this to Uncle Mike? Mm. 
Ain't Terry? Mm -hmm. Do you remember who they are? She probably like, oh, 